0: I got on my bike and I cycled back to school and I remember just bumping into a girl who lived across the road from us whose dad had died two years before from cancer and I just remember whispering to her, dad died this morning and I dropped to my knees and and I remember the teachers taking me back into school and it was from that moment that my world and my life sort of just completely turned on an axis and changed forever
1: Mark, and thank you for being here. And one specific thing amongst many, you know, after finding you and reading up on your story that really resonated with me specifically, and you kind of mentioned it when, in our first message on Instagram, how you lost your father at 12 years old, just like me and a couple other similarities and not that, you know, the similarities in our experience, but obviously there's always differences in every, everyone's experience. So it's not that I can relate, but what really hit home with me is that, you know, I don't know where I read it. I read something that you wrote in regards to how you gave so much credit to your mother and, and you have two sisters and someone mentioned to you, I believe, or you realized it that you were the man of the house. And, <laughs> yeah. and those specific yeah. words really stuck with me because I remember someone saying that to me when I was younger and yeah. It, yeah. I didn't know how to react at that age. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I don't know if yeah. you did, but uh, there's just so many similarities in our experience in regards to age the three women in our lives and someone specifically telling you that you're the man of the house. So on that note, I'm very, very interested on in a selfish reason of hearing your story. Cause I'm curious to see how, you know, how you handled it and, and all that stuff. So Mark, if you want to kind of get going on, whoever you feel like starting sharing your story, uh, it, it'd be an honor.
0: Yeah. So, um, so going back to 1992 when I was 12 years old and at the time we had, we had a cleaner who kind of became a, I guess, a friend of the family, and she didn't live far from where we lived either. And so she was going through a difficult end of marriage, in a sense. They weren't divorced yet, but he was, the husband, that is, was very jealous. He he just wasn't a very nice guy. And he would check her mail. And so she uh, got her post redirected to our house. And then, you know, if she couldn't come and get it, then my dad and my mum would drop it off to the house that she might be working out or cleaning at. Um, in Cambridge, where I'm from. And one day on the 12th of May, 1992, she was cleaning at a house just outside Cambridge uh, a village. And yeah, the guy followed her to the house and saw my dad's car outside and thought he'd put um, two and two together. You know, thought they were having an affair, went to a local uh, supermarket and stole a boning knife. Went back to the house, and I believe he went around the back of the house and came to the kitchen where they were having a coffee. And they got into an altercation, my dad and the man, and uh, by all accounts, my dad got the better of him, went to get his briefcase, and then the man pulled out the knife and stabbed him twice. The first or second apparently went into his heart and killed him instantly. And then he turned on his wife and stabbed her twice in the back, and she managed to get away or flee the house and call for help. And then the man turned around and stabbed my dad another 15 times. And then decided to, to, to bury the knife in the garden and, you know, run away. But they caught, the police caught up with them pretty quickly. And I remember just being at school and it was the end of the school day. And, you know, you can relate, I'm, I'm sure, completely. Um, you know, that moment where you are, when you find out the news, where you're told. And um, I remember just sitting in class. It was like 10 past three in the afternoon. And the, I saw a teacher come into the classroom, go up to the teacher that was sort of teaching us at the time and they came over and said mark your mum's called and wants you to go home and um, I thought it was a bit strange because it was right at the end of the school day so i remember running to get my bike and then um, these are these these things so vivid and clear cuz my friend had locked his bike to mine i had to run back get him to unlock it and then run you know cycle home and i remember i remember that feeling of like something has happened that's, that doesn't feel right that really you know you know inside your stomach you just you just have a you no. Know, like, and I got to our close where we live. It's like a little, we call it a close, and, and you have to cross the green to our house. And I remember hearing my sister crying in the front of the house in the living room and seeing sort of strange people, a couple of police and uh, a couple of people in suits. And, and I remember my, I think it was my aunt sort of said, oh, your mum wants to see you upstairs. And my mum took me into the spare room and said, oh, dad died this morning. And I remember just bursting into tears for like, we probably cried for about a minute, her saying, I don't know what we're going to do. And it was all so surreal. I'm sure you can relate to all of this. And And I had to leave the house. It was too weird. I had to get out. I got on my bike and I cycled back to school. And I remember just bumping into a girl who lived across the road from us, whose dad had died two years before from cancer. And I just remember whispering to her, dad died this morning. And I dropped to my knees and, and I remember the teachers taking me back into school and it was from that moment that my world and my life sort of just completely turned on an axis and changed forever and but like you say when you know when I saw your message and you know and I, you told me the experience that you've gone through I was like wow you know I've realized that grief is about connection you know and and I guess that's why I set up my own podcast like you is because you've got that craving to try and connect with other people who've experienced that same pain, different and unique to yours, but at the same time, you felt and heard those words of that person's died, you know, and, and that. It means so much, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I, I don't uh, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's just a pain, you know, misery loves company or whatever it is, or just just that feeling of not being alone. But uh, there definitely is a connection. I mean, I think like like a lot of experiences in life, whether it's trauma or this or that, when you find someone that has an experience like yours in some ways, yeah, there there definitely is a deeper connection. That's why I I love, that's why I love what you're doing. Cause I I admire, I truly admire what you're doing because, you know, I've definitely made a commitment to make this part of my life and it took me, it definitely took me a while. I mean, I'm uh, that was, it was 20, it's been 20 years, 20 years for me, 21 years or so. But there's so many, like I said, from the beginning, there's so many little tiny similarities because I had a friend that lived down the block from me that lost his dad a couple of years before mine. And I remember playing basketball on my sister and my buddy Scott's dad passed. And I remember looking at my sister saying, I can't imagine if that happened to us. And when we said that, it, I want to say nine eleven 11 was that year and then it happened. So it's it's just so bizarre how things work. And I, like I said, we're not, we didn't have the same experience, but and it's it, it kind of freaks me out on me to make this is not about me at all, but I'm just relating to our experience of your dad was was murdered, and that that and that yeah. word is yeah. and the way it happened, your dad was so intimate and personal that I I can't fathom. And when I think of my dad on nine eleven, it freaks me out when I when I sit deep in it and I say my dad was murdered, but not in the not in the yeah. same way obviously that yours was. That that like I once I said this a million times in my podcast. I'm not trying to compare or put a hierarchy on on people's loss, but yours is just a totally different level that I can't imagine what that does to a 12 year old. And from my experience, I don't remember so much. I, I, so much. I don't remember. I remember the day I remember the first time I broke down, I saw it. I remember those vivid moments, but in regards to the grieving process, I feel like there's so much I don't remember. And I don't know if that's a defense mechanism, but what was that like for you as a young kid being 12 years old in those next couple of years? Do you, uh, do you have a vivid memory on how you handled it?
0: It's a tough one, isn't it? Because you're already going through, you know, this is why you and I talking is so so strange because, you know, you're just starting, I was in my, I was near the end of my first year in secondary school, as we call it over here. And and you're moving into your teenage years. So already you've got all these different feelings and these this, this kind of, you know, this new sort of start of your life that you're trying to navigate. And then when something like that happens, it just turned, it just completely just swivels you around and, and, and um, spits you out. And, and so I kind of, in a way, I'd, I think I just put it to the back of my mind. Um, and, and, I, and I became more sort of focused around just hanging out with my friends. And, um, and you know, I, it did affect me at school. I did get into sort of like fights. And, and, if, if, and I always say, have you seen the film Good Will Hunting with Robin Williams? Yeah, if one of the greatest that. of all times. So, you know, and I don't know about you, but that film to me... He My form tutor, Peter Wakefield, he, Robin, he was my Robin Williams. He was like, if if it wasn't for him, I would have gone somewhere else. Might not be talking to you today, you know, because he kind of, he sort of... Every time I messed up or I was fighting or whatever, he would kind of go to my head of year or whoever it was, the headmaster, and say, look, this guy's gone through this huge trauma. Like, We need to support him. And actually... Last year, for I'm actually starting writing a book, actually to do with grief, and um, and I interviewed him for it, and it was the first time I'd spoken to him for you know however many years since I left secondary school, and it was incredible because you, you, I kind of I wanted to gauge how he supported me and what I was like because like you say you kind of block out elements of of, of those initial years, don't you? And um, so it was interesting to hear how he kind of got me through but the interesting thing was that he said that my friends without me realizing it really were really supportive like in terms of including me in things and making sure that i wasn't kind of left you know just to sort of navigate my grief alone but all of those things you just don't realize at the time when you're in your own head, do you
1: no i guess that's how you look back at things and it's, that's why i asked my, and i asked my mom in a similar fashion that i think uh you, you call him your mentor what do you what, what is your title of the guy that you were talking to mentor
0: I'd say he's
1: a mental, yeah. Yeah, so I I, I think about that because I asked my mom as much as I can, what was I, how did I handle things? Like I said, I don't remember so much. And it's interesting to look back at things besides the, from the eyes of someone else who was so intimate with you during those moments. But just looking back at a different point in your life, because at this point I get over myself, but I feel like I used to get frustrated at the way I handle things or perceive things or put, like, as you mentioned, put it in the back. Because I, I remember. During that whole chaos of the next couple of weeks of when you know we were really in the heat of we didn't know what the hell was going on or was he coming back, I was playing like video games and doing things like that. And I'm looking back at it as a grown man, I'm like, what the, what was I doing? Like playing video games, but then I forget. I was like, I was I was a 12 year old kid. It's like I I feel like I have released some of the guilt that I did feel as the way I yeah. handled things and. Even just being told I'm the man of the house, and I look back, I'm like, did I even step up like that? Was I, was I? Did I become the man of the house? Even though I was the man of the house, you know. So looking back at things, like you said, whether through the eyes of someone yeah. else or who you are now, is I think is really important. And it's also important to let things go because, yeah. like yeah. I'm, I guess I'm so interested in your mental as getting through it as a 12 year old because I don't have a lot of uh, listeners that are 12, 13, 14. But I think hearing from your perspective how you handled it and how you see things now. And if a parent is listening right now and not know how to handle a kid that's going through it, I think it's really important to get the insight that you're going through. So do you remember anything that worked for you or was this something that you think you, you started healing as you got older?
0: I think that's probably why I talk about it so much now is because I do realize how suppressing those feelings did, you know, damage me in a way because it's, it's you have that perception of, well, you'll grieve for a certain amount of time and then you'll be fine, you know, and that's complete bullshit. You know, we know that's, you know, cause you grieve for the rest of your life, you know, it never goes away. And, um, so, and it's because through my own social media, I, I do get contacted by people as well who, like you say, there'll be adults who are supporting, you know, say their husbands just died and they're supporting their children or, you know, or wife or wife has died. And so for me, I try and just reflect to, you know, I, I guess, you know, I found sport really useful, like playing soccer, as we say, you know, or tennis. But again, those things, because I used to do them with my dad and he used to take me to those and used to be on the sidelines, you know, shouting, and I just didn't want to do those things anymore, you know? And um and I don't know about you, but I kind of really found like things like that that we used to do together. It was painful because that was my connection to him. And so... It's taken me a long time to get to the point of realising, well, what would have helped me? And I realised that simply just someone listening to me, and which I did find, actually, that the people that I found the most supportive were those who actually wanted to talk about my dad to me and sit down and listen to how I was feeling instead of just, I guess, perceiving me as this angry teenager. Because I think sometimes just people get a bit afraid of upsetting someone, don't they? you know, in that moment. So I think it's just a matter of just letting people know that you're there for them, you know, is to listen, to say, look, when you're ready, I'm here. Like, I actually found writing quite, I used to do little short stories and stuff, which is probably why I do what I do now in a sense of um, just being quite creative. And I found that hugely helpful, like just getting whatever's in here out onto a piece of paper.
1: There really is so much similarity of what you're saying to Google Hunting. I can't, I'm getting like flashbacks to that movie. And, but I'm not bouncing to that movie too much, but the fact that you, you know, people that listen, I feel like that was, correct me if I'm wrong, but Robin Williams, you know, strategy compared to the other therapists that, that Matt Damon, his character would be listening to. They, they perceived him as this like angry kid. They, he, they got frustrated as antics and then eventually kicked him to the curb. And Robin yeah. Williams, remember that one scene where he just sat there, didn't say anything. He was just letting, he was letting him make the first move. He was willing to listen and not force it out of him and ultimately let, Him, let him figure it out on your own without forcing it. I feel like that comes to terms with listening and and finding those people is really, truly important to healing. But uh, I've said this prior in episodes too, is that when people let you know they're they're there for you as opposed to trying to fix anything or having any judgment towards you. And I think that reflects on the willingness to have the conversation. I, I really do feel like even though this is such a taboo conversation, quote unquote, I think- most people want to talk about it. I truly believe people need to talk about it. If they're not ready, I'm not, I'm not going to force yeah. you to do it, obviously. But I think people do want to talk about it. And the other side, people aren't sure how to approach it. And I think instinctively think they don't want to talk about it, so they don't know how to approach it. But that's why I think this conversation and what you're doing and your mission and what your, your, your writings that's coming up and the writings that you do. And yeah. it's so important.
0: I completely agree. And when I when I first watched Good Writing, i pulled like a baby, you know, because I just saw... <laughs> that anger inside of him and the trauma that he's obviously experienced himself and and that kind of even though I kind of knew it wasn't my fault what happened to my dad you still have those elements of guilt don't you of, of um you know I remember I will always remember seeing him in the doorway in the morning and his suit and his briefcase just saying you know see you later on you know and and occasionally when I was younger I said maybe I should have called in six, so he had to stay home, so he didn't have to go to work, and you know, just all these ifs and buts and things that you think about, you know, which don't do you any favors at all. But you know, these are the things that go through your mind when someone has died in that way. um Yeah, I'm not about, not sure about you, but yeah,
1: it's very bizarre. <laughs> it's maybe a terrible analogy, but I feel like you know, your your dad past What year was it? So ninety two. Ninety two, right? So it was. I knew it was a while before mine. I feel like you're the. Uh, you're the original office and I'm the American version of the office because, (laughs) because there's so many similarities and I'm like, I'm getting flashbacks in the middle of it in regards to just my dad in the doorway saying goodbye to work. And then that Mm. morning, just, I could have done this, could have done that. And that's what the, excuse my language with the fuckery of trauma is just, you get these emotions that don't make sense in a way. And well, another guest that I had, he was, he had a, a great TED Talk too, and he was, uh, Phil Cohen, he was mentioning the five stages of grief and how he was confused because that seemed like it was happening in an orderly fashion. And his realization, I feel like you can really, there's no really, I don't see an orderly fashion in grief. Like you, you may feel denial, anger in all these different ways. I, don't, I just don't think it's as concrete as some of these books make it, but it's really important as to what you're doing. You know, I feel like you- realize these feelings whether it was guilt and then you kind of let it go in in some sense you understood it a little more deeply than the surface meaning and realized, oh i feel this because of that and then that that deduction kind of helps you get through it and i'm I'm, i want to reference another one of those it was just such a good article that you that i think it seemed like you wrote it you mentioned one thing about time and how you know time helps you heal but Mm -hmm. one of the specific messages that i got from that that i think about all the time is i don't think it's time that does the healing which you referenced it's really, you kind of, hopefully I don't butcher what you were saying, but this is my understanding of it, that with time, you learn how to live with grief and cope with it. And I think you kind of alluded that to you earlier, that grief doesn't go away. You just learn around it and and yeah. grow around it more or less. But I think that was such a true statement that you have to figure it out as you go,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. And it took me a long time to realize that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's true, isn't it? It's like... You, so many people will say oh you're healing time or you know it's no you don't you know you, you just you kind of learn to figure it out as you move along and um and also we all figure it out in our own way and in our own time as well you know it's not because I do it my way it doesn't mean that's how you're going to do it and uh so I think that's the other big thing that I'm quite really passionate about is just letting people know that each minute hour day you can change at any time your thought process might change the the grief might come in and And that's okay. And I always kind of see it as like a a coat, you know, like in the winter, it's really heavy. Like in the spring, you wear your lighter one, but it's one that you always have to wear because that's what life has given you. But you learn on the lighter days, on the sunnier days, that it is a bit lighter and you don't really notice it sometimes. But what I have learned is to try and sit with those feelings when they, you know, present themselves. You know, there are days when I... It just hits me and I just have to go, look, you need to just have a cry now, you know, and just, you know, just get this out and move on with your day. And I think that's a really important lesson. And, and, you know, for for you, for I, for anyone who listens, it's like, just get it out. Don't be ashamed to get it out. Don't be ashamed for this feeling that you're feeling because it's perfectly natural. And and so, yeah, that's why I said about the time, time isn't a healer, but, you know, that you'll learn how to sort of live with it.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely uh, the biggest pattern that I've noticed in people that I've spoke to in regards to the ones that, are, I hate to say healed, because I don't know if you're ever truly healed, but have grown from it, is the pattern that I've seen is every, those, most people are sitting in those feelings. At some point, it happens at different times. Some people did it quicker. Some people took 20 years. And I think it took me a while, of course, because I was definitely someone that kept it inside and my mom, similar to you. I, I honestly give her all the credit. I had a great supporting cast, like, like my sisters, my family members, amazing friends.
0: So do you have two sisters? you got two sisters.
1: Yeah, I got two sisters. I'm the baby of the family. Are you, are you the oldest or the, where are you? I'm in the, the middle.
0: Room? The middle. Yeah,
1: okay. And I wonder – I always int- it always interests me uh, how – I mean, we don't have to speak about your family members, but how each child handles it. That's such a different thing too. And that's the interesting part. You put – Three people, with like you know, the same genes or similar genes, however you want to say it, in the same scenario, and everyone can go in totally different directions. And you just, I wonder, yeah. what is that? I mean, obviously, everyone interprets it differently. But you're in the same household, obviously, ages, middle child, older child, and me and my sisters all definitely handled it differently. We're just different people, but I think, uh, you know, out of the three, I definitely didn't handle it the best. I'm not sure if I handled it the worst. Whatever the hell, the hell, I don't know how the hell you're keeping score. Um, but was there a big difference on the way you guys handled it or did you, did, since you were the man of the house, did you feel you, did you take on that role? I'm sure you did by talking to you. You seem amazing.
0: I think as I grew up, got older, I probably did, but my, so my older sister at the time was probably, what was she? 17. And my younger sister was eight. So, you know, again, I think it just depends on what, what point of life you are really, you know, for her, for my, for my older sister, she can remember things more clearly than I can. Probably about around the whole situation, you know, with the lady coming into the house and being the cleaner and getting to sort of, I guess, I think she she held a bit of uh, resentment towards, obviously, towards the lady who, because she kind of brought her shit into the house in a sense. And then my younger sister, she, you know, she was just very young, you know, and she didn't really know what was going on. So for her, it was like, bang, you know, didn't even know who this guy was. Um, and then for me, I was kind of semi-aware of the situation. But obviously, you're not going to be so aware that you think this guy's going to kill your dad, you know. So, yeah, I mean, like you, you know, you will deal with it in different ways, don't you? Because you're at different ages and stages in your life, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as I got older personally, I don't know about you, It's uh, it definitely hit me differently as I got older, obviously, because we were so young and, all oh, your body's doing weird things <laughs> and t- different time in your life, so this the thing that hurts me the most is just missing out, especially now. I think like it hurt. It almost hurt more later. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what that shit did to me. That's, you know, I'm still dealing with now down the line. But what misses me the most is now. This would be like such a besides turning 21, having that beer, and becoming a man, and and that's what I miss the most. Like, I was blessed to have a great father. You know, we he was similar to you. I played baseball constantly playing baseball together he would come to every game so that was a big that was a big correlation It also made me now that i think about it i grav i definitely had really good relationships with my friends fathers and that i'm still talk to today that are like you know secondary fathers to me and I, and besides the fact that they're just great human beings that were there for us and truly showed their true colors i definitely feel like i gravitated towards other male figures and really appreciated their presence Perhaps, I, want, I never know, but maybe more than I would have because I was missing that. And I had some – my brother-in-law, his family, I, I definitely had male figures in my life that really you know, stepped up. But in regards to them being a father to my close friends, it was something there that made me sad but appreciative. And I got frustrated at my friends when they were like talk back to them and seemingly ungrateful to their fathers because I was like, they don't know. They don't fucking know. But then I also had a yeah, release that. Yeah. I was like, because they don't – and I started learning as I go. I was like, they don't know because they don't know. They didn't have the experience from yeah. it, you know? And then you can't blame people for that. But then that was my own problem. I realized me getting frustrated is my own problem. I think that goes back to the realization of I feel this. and it, But I feel like nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, it's projection. And yeah. that's what these experiences teach you, right?
0: God, that's, that's – yeah, the tough times are when, you know, say Father's Day or – you know, you would go around, your um like, I, I, I had really one of my best friends and I went around he had a brilliant relationship with his dad and, you know, and you'd see them sitting on the sofa together or the couch, you know, he'd have his arm around and they were watching football or, or whatever it might be. And those were the moments, like you say, that really kind of hit. But um, I think for me, I've realised as well, which is why it's still a powerful feeling, the grief, because... You get you, you're you a hit at certain stages throughout your life. So, when I became a dad, you know, um, for the first time, like in 2011, when I had my son, you know, that was a massive moment. It was an emotional moment because I, I, I kind of, in, in a weird way, I now had that relationship that I had with my dad. And so, you know, the, the other strange parallels are that my son is nearly 11 and he loves his sport. He plays cricket and he plays football and he's, he's, you know, he is actually he's good at it but it's great because we can kind of go out and we hit those balls together and we you know do those things which is really special but i like you were just saying i appreciate those moments massively i i there's a deeper level of appreciation in those moments for me and and again the same thing with my daughter because the age difference between my children are exactly the same as me and my younger sister and so my older sister, she had a different dad as well. So there's kind of a strange sort of thing going on with, um, you know, with my kids, the age differences and them being a boy and a girl. And they're both, the, the son is, is the older one and all this dynamics, you know. But yeah, so this anniversary, over the last couple of years, we've started to involve the kids more with the anniversary as well. So we, do, we treat it like a birthday. So I, I make pancakes and then they, they've even like set a place for them at the table And the first year we did it, we're in lockdown and they got balloons and they wrote notes to him and they let it off into the sky. And I mean, it was, you know, it was beautiful. And it was because before, I don't know about you, I just locked it away. I I wouldn't talk about it, you know, for many years. And in 2017, I wrote an article for a newspaper called The Guardian. And they asked me if I would write, I think it's My Dad's Murder Didn't Break Me, which might have been the one that you'd read. And
1: that was it. That was definitely
0: it. Yeah, I had to I had to delve into everything that happened and and so there was there was shit in there that I just I wasn't fully aware of that had happened on that day and you know and how he died and but in a weird way me writing that kind of unlocked all these different feelings and these emotions and it kind of it was like right now you can talk about it more because more people know and they'd read the article you know it was national uh, and so it was kind of like a permission to myself to say all right now you can you can start talking about this now. You can start uh, being a bit more open because it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to – it's not – I always say and it's not a dinner table conversation.
1: No, no. It's definitely not a dinner table conversation. I perhaps bring it up at dinner way too often, and I'm trying to relax on that. <laughs> but uh, wh- what, do you, what do you think that was that you said you're giving yourself permission?
0: I just, I just think I suppressed it because I didn't want – talk about it or bring it up with other people or make them feel awkward you know like you say oh I'll bring it up at dinner probably more too often than I should but and I probably do too I'd probably do now as well but because I didn't want to put them in that space of awkwardness or feeling awkward and but now I'm a bit more okay yeah so he yeah you know it's it's hard because then you kind of feel like you need to go into the details of it but when you just say I was murdered, it's, and then you, it's like you drop the mic and walk off, and uh, you know leave them with that kind of thought. And uh...
1: yeah, I've definitely developed a, a kind of a dark sense of humor. <laughs> I I'm, I don't know if I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I've always been like that, or it's definitely just I I, I love I, yeah. I'm a, I love humor. I love comedy, stand up comedy, all that, and somehow I just I I don't know. I kind of make people uncomfortable sometimes, but it's kind of like for sport for me. And like I've realized, I'm just kidding. Like it's okay. And I think if, for me personally, I think lightening the load. But still maintaining a level of respect yeah. for the topic, obviously. Like I'm, I know when, I think I have a keen sense of not to crack jokes around certain people. I, I think I could read the room. But to me, I think it's just such a topic that, like you, like what you're, you needs to be talked about. And I'm not, like, it doesn't have to be brought up at dinner. But there's another. There's a book I just read by Dr. Hawkins. It's called Letting Go. And that's why I, I, I truly love hearing stories like yours and your natural ability. It didn't seem like you needed books to figure it out, but. The ability to let go is so important. It sounds so easy, and I truly think it's it's e- it is should be easy to do, but it's not. But it, it, I think, on the premise of it, it's it's a lot less complicated than than I've learned. I was like, what the hell does letting go even mean? I don't even know. Like, what do you like? What do like, I? I don't. What, what does that mean? But I think it is yeah. what you were doing. You just you use your brain. You thought about it. You sat in it. You let feelings come up, and you just you use your rational mind in some sense of just kind of like breaking it down and then it, and that's kind of releasing it. I think it's just my interpretation of releasing is, and I'm curious if you think the same, is just confronting it and facing it and not yeah. running away from it and allowing yourself to feel whatever it is without judgment.
0: Yeah, and that takes a lot of, I always say it takes a lot of courage to do that as well because, you know, no one wants to sit with those feelings because they hurt, don't they? And, uh, and I think that's why... I think even uh, on my Instagram today, I did a post about, you know, um, if you just woke up and got dressed and brush your teeth, that's enough. Because I think more often than not, people struggle, don't they, to, 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 to feel those feelings.
1: Yeah, I think that's, the, that's why we suppress things, right? I think we don't, sometimes the pain is just too much. That's the thing, man, it's like grief and, grief and loss, it's pain, It's pain. And I think uh, there's just the innate primal survival instinct of humans is just to avoid pain at all costs. And sometimes it's to our detriment. And that's the ironic part is that our body's kind of, our mind and body is kind of protecting ourselves to avoid pain. But by avoiding the pain down the line, it's going to cause you more pain. And that's why I think it's the utmost importance to do my part in sharing what you're doing. And I mean, you're already doing it fantastic and continue to do it fantastic without me. But I just love talking to people like you that are, They're doing this, and you've made it a mission in your life. I I know you're doing many other things, but how are you today? How are you doing
0: today? I'm all right, you know. Actually, the last couple of days, I think uh, I know it's strangely feeling a little bit uh, overwhelmed. But do you know what I have been doing? It's not watching the news. You know, I don't know about you, but and I and I was conscious through the pandemic as well at the beginning not to watch the news and be consumed with all the you know the negativity and the the because it can resurface a lot of trauma and feelings of anxiety and and you know uh, don't get me wrong i'm still trying to seeing what's happening and what's going on but you know the world is is uh, <laughs> it's an interesting thing going on at the moment especially on sort of closer to our side of the world and uh, and so i just i try and step away from that and that kind of does help me actually through um through my own mental state because i think sometimes it can be a bit consuming, you
1: know. Yeah this uh, this world's in a whole, I can't even speak on that. That's like a it's a whole other can, yeah, yeah. can of worms. <laughs> <The> whole different <laughs> conversation. <saved> Jeez, <laughs> man! But now keeping myself separate for, and honestly being conscious of uh, what you're letting into your brain is a big thing. But one one thing I I, I, kind of, I should have asked earlier, but I wanted to ask yeah. in regards to your you know commemorating your father with your children now, which is once again similar to the 20th anniversary of 9 11. I don't have kids. My sisters have uh, five total three and two. And they've been aware of them for a while now, but now two of them, especially are, are old enough to really understand it. And my oldest nephew, Jake actually read the names at the memorial. And that was like a really big step in the family. It was just so, so bizarre to me to see them at that level, at that point of life now, where now the grandchildren have to understand it. So there's one question about how you're doing it with your family, as you already alluded to, but what is that? Has there been a conversation, like a, like, how do, yeah. you, how do you approach that with your children? Like, that's a really you know, that's, a powerful conversation.
0: Yeah, that is a massive one. And it's one that I know I'm going to have to have very soon, um, especially with my son, not with my daughter, because she's only seven. But he's about to go to secondary school, right, as in um, September. And I, I've always said over the last couple of years, through talking about this more, that's going to be the hardest. Conversation uh, that maybe I'm going to have to have with him. I, 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 mean, my wife thinks that he probably already has an idea because of because I've done lots of sort of press and news and been on the radio and stuff and sort of. I think he's maybe caught a glimpse of certain things, you know, heard overheard, you know. I've never sort of overtly sat here and he's been there and I've been doing an interview, so so actually sitting down with him and telling him about what happened that day and how his grandpa, as we call him, died, it's going to be really tough. And if I'm honest, I thought maybe it will be in a few years' time when he's like teenager. but I think it might have to be sooner than that and before he goes to secondary school because, because I do do some public speaking and I, I go into schools and I talk, you know, um, and so that's going to be a big one, you know, to hear... That anyone has died in that manner is, is difficult, but to hear that your own grandfather died in that manner is is going to be tough. So uh, it's not going to be an easy one.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, something I've always been conscious of, especially having nephews now. Is what, is there a good time? Is there is too young such a thing? And part of me, my, I, I, I I'm not a I'm not a father, so I can't speak on that aspect. But it's like I don't know if there is too soon. It's like depending on how you do it. It's like it's this is life, and I, I think it's it's depending on how you break it, I think, uh, I think it's important for kids to be aware of it one way or another. So what, I don't know if you want to speak on it, but you have a book coming up and you've written books in the past, correct?
0: Well, yeah. So, so uh, previously I've written children's books. So, that's something um, I want
1: to bring up with you. I don't know if we talk about it now or after, but that's a...
0: I'm, uh,
1: speak on, sorry. Yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: <laughs> right, yeah, when was it? 2015, I started writing stories for Otis, my son at the time. And it would be literally in my old job, I'd be on the train going back and forth and I'd write these stories. And like I said, I've always been very creative. And so I'd write these stories featuring him and he'd be the main protagonist. So then I started writing them for my daughter as well. So Otis Lemon and Thea Lemon, the two characters. And then I met an illustrator and we started working on the first two books. And now they've got two books each. And, and then in 2018, I wrote uh, The Magical Woods, which was a story for bereaved children sort of for, for ages, I'd say four to eight years, but which, what has been nice is that the books kind of resonate with slightly older children. And so, yeah, The Magical word has, has been incredible because I've done an audio book and I've, I've uh, you know, gone into schools and stuff and read it and, uh, and it's, so I've done that and then the new book, which is gonna be based around a kind of a survival guide on grief, basically, and my own take on it, obviously, sort of a memoir, but more of a survival guide around grief and how I've, myself, over the last 30 years, have tried to navigate it and things I've learned. Um, We're going to start putting it out to publishers over the next few weeks to see who bites and if anyone bites. Um, But uh, hopefully they will. And uh, it just felt like the right time to to do it. But um, it's been kind of a bit of a long time coming, but I've realised through my Instagram that I've definitely got the, the words and the writing and the ideas in the locker to do it. So that's why I kind of it kind of spurred me to 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 get kind of to stop fucking around with it and just get on with it basically.
1: Well, well you, you've given me a little yeah. glimpse in the locker, and I I, I am 100 percent confident you have plenty in there to share that's gonna be very vital. So I look forward to that. And uh, I'm I'm thank you mate. I'm sure you're gonna get that that deal for sure. <laughs> um but I definitely want to check out Great your time. other stuff. And the children's books is so interesting to me. Um, I, well, you know, yeah. we will start. Uh, I know you got other stuff to do, so we'll get you out of here, but, uh, the children's book and what I brought up to about having that discussion with your kids. And I gravitated towards this one woman, Patrice Karst, I had on the podcast, she's a children's book author. And in the back of my head, I always, I've always been fond of children's books. I just love the simplicity of messaging that delivers important life lessons to kids. I think that's the whole premise of it. And also can be life lessons for adults that are reading it, <laughs> in my opinion, yeah. um, that could probably use some of that medicine. And I, have, I think that's why I kind of reached out because I've always – I plan on I've started like kind of like outlining some things, but I want to write a children's book that is – specifically delivers the message of grief to children in a way because I think that's an important conversation for someone like in your position. Once again, I'm not a father. What the hell do I know? But she wrote a book called The Invisible String that wasn't written intentionally just about grief. It was about kind of trauma and loss. Well, Uh whether you agree with it, whether people's religious backgrounds, this or that, that might go a different way. But she explained the idea of loss in such a simple way that sounds a little woohoo, but at the same time, it was just – it was such a nice way to transition to explaining the idea to a kid. And my sister sister had this amazing experience with my oldest nephew, Jake, trying to understand the loss of his grandpa when he was like five. And it happened in such a mellifluous, natural, metaphorical way of understanding that just mm. really triggered the idea of really getting that message to kids, but not in a grim way. I feel like that's a kind of a tough palette to speak about a book about grief or death in a yeah. children's book. But yeah. I truly think there is an avenue there of doing that. And um, that might be another conversation I want to have with you. I'm not trying to make, <laughs> a, bi- I'm not trying to make a deal here, <laughs> but I, I know you don't know me very well, but it's just... Yeah, there's,
0: you know, there's a need for it, basically. And, and that's the thing I struggled with originally is, okay, so how can you do this, but in a sensitive way and... In a way that you know a, a parent or whoever it is could sit down with a child and read it at bedtime or or whenever that might be. And uh, so I think it's it's about putting it to it's about writing it sensitively. But look, you know, you've 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 gone through huge trauma and losses as a twelve year old boy, so you know. And that's the same with me. That's why I kind of knew that I would be able to tackle it.
1: That's kind of what I thought about. It, was like I was thinking maybe I was being too sensitive. Like, oh, if a children read this book, I'm like. But at the same time, you and me just dealt with what we dealt with at 12 years old in real life. So what the hell yeah. is a book going to do? <laughs> it's like, like People got to relax a little bit. So I think you got to do it tastefully. Mark, thank you so much. Like I said, 13 times already. I, I love what you're doing. If there's anything I could ever do for you down the line, I know you're across the pond and far away, but I, I, if I could ever be of value to you, it's, I, I, I'd be happy to be um, over in LA if you ever need anything. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug in there. Obviously, I'll throw your links to the bottom of this so people can find you.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess, uh, well, I've just started recording for my, my own podcast, uh, which the episode's out on Monday, Grief is My Superpower. And again, like you, just connecting with people who, who've experienced loss and grief and hoping that it helps and anyone listening. So um, I guess that's the main thing at the moment. But no, thank, thank you so much for having me and reaching out, because uh, it's honestly quite rare that you meet someone who has experienced, you know, firstly losing your dad at 12 year old but also in the manner that you did and I did you know like sudden shock gone it's quite rare so you know it's been amazing talking to you
1: yeah that's the thing we actually ironically didn't cover is that that shock value i mean this death happens in so many ways but when that is, the impact of that suddenness i feel like adds a little bit more of a traumatic effect as opposed to knowing this and that so yeah the shock factor i, I just think kicks your body into a different gear where your body is, you know your mind and body is doing all sorts of thing that you're not even you know, you can't be ready for clearly can't be ready for, but maybe this conversation helps. I think that's another thing. I think this conversation hopefully helps people that haven't experienced it. That's one thing I really want to accomplish yeah. is to try to get through to people that haven't experienced it yet and make these conversations yeah. with someone fun like you. It's like, and it's not a fun conversation, but I, we're talking about it objectively. And it's a conversational way, which is, I'm not a therapist. I'm not Robin Williams talking to anyone. like that. I, know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the hell I'm talking. I have experiential value. That's all I got. So, um, you know, hopefully it's a conversation that will and what you're doing, I think does it in a way that'll crack the attention of people that haven't experienced it yet, which is really vital.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but Mark, thank you so much, man. Um, you're, you're a true pleasure and I can't, I can't thank you enough. Yeah.
0: Thank you, man.